We're reading from Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 33. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the oaths you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an, earth at all, an oath at all, either by, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair, white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We're continuing in these weighty words from the lips of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. And today we get to words, we get to promises, we get to oaths. But before we get there, uh, I wonder how many times you've stayed in a hotel or a B&B and you've uh, come in contact with something that looks like this. Have you ever seen the infamous door hanger? We might want to draw, Al, could you draw some curtains there just so these pop a bit, bit better? Um, there's always the ethical dilemma that uh, I've faced many a time. Do you, well, how do you approach the door hanger? Do you uh, ignore the door hanger and so people will come straight in at uh, an early hour, but it's an uh, opportunity to get away, whether it's with or without kids, whether it's on business. Maybe you can sneak a lie in. And so if you don't hang the door hanger up, maybe you can just, uh, maybe you'll be interrupted. And so if you put the door hanger on, maybe you can just say, we don't need any care in here, I'm sleeping in this morning. Uh, we don't need fresh towels, we need rest. Uh, we need fresh coffee and that's downstairs and that'll be at 10 o'clock, not at 8 a.m. Or maybe you just, you just forget about it and there's the rude hammering of the concierge or the, uh, the person, Adrian, smiling broadly. Maybe this has happened to you, brother, at a time on a business trip. How you approach door hangers has big, it has big implications of whether you get a lion or not. But at the same time, these two door hangers, which are used by Devere Hotels, that's not a kind of product placement by me trying to get a free stay, they are very applicable to your understanding of Christianity. I wonder if you think you need to be a bit like the red hanger. Have you ever thought about that? I'm not interested in Christianity because I think I'm clean enough. Jesus, do not disturb my life. All is well. I have all the resources I need. My future is looking rosy. My pension pot is growing. 
I'm okay. I'm going to put the red door hanger on the door hanger, the handle of my life, because I don't need any help. I am good enough all by myself. One of the signs that uh, Jesus has come into your heart, into your life, that you're living under his lordship and under his loving and gracious rule, is that actually you're far more like the green hanger. There's nothing to hide. Come on in, because I'm a right mess. I realise I cannot make uh, my life work all by myself. I recognise that I'm a rebel. I recognise that actually the Beatitudes that uh, came from the lips of Jesus, Matthew 5, 3, that describes my life because you've entered my life and you've cleaned me up. You've not given me fresh towers, you've given me a new heart and a fresh start. Because the standard of the Sermon on the Mount is so high. Look at 5.20. Jesus says, I tell you that unless your, your righteousness the cleanliness of your record, the standard, the things that you've achieved, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says to his followers. Or how about, uh, Sandy read it so clearly, uh, 5.48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I'm not, I can't be, I'm the green hanger, I'm a right mess, and I need to be rescued. That's a good thing if you're here this morning and your life is described as the green hanger, not the red one. Jesus is saying, your righteousness needs to be better than the teachers of the law who knew the right words, who said the right things, who went to the right places, who dressed in the right, way, right ways. And Jesus has been rubbing in this reality that we are not the people we should be, even as Christians. And he's looked at uh, anger, beginning in verse 21. He's looked at sexual issues, beginning at verse 27. And now he comes to our lips, verse 33, and speech and the power of words. If you are a Christian, Jesus says, there should be something beautiful about the words that come from my lips and your lips. And that's a profoundly, you kind of say, enough, Jesus. I've had enough of the challenge already. Well, Jesus has more to do with us yet. And I think the first thing he wants to say to us is this. Recognise that your life is an observed life. Recognise that your life, when it comes to what you say and how you speak, it's an observed life. It's the first point. Now, Jesus lived in a time that was an oral culture. When promises were made, when houses were sold, when marriage vows were taken, it was all oral and there would be an oral culture. So promises would be heard, remembered, and people would be called to account in that way. We don't live in a culture like that anymore. Very little is dealt with oral promises. It's nearly all written. Think of if you're a teenager and you're in school. There is the, the homework contract that you have to sign at the start of the year. I will do my homework. I will make sure my tie is straight. I'll make sure my shoes are polished. And then your parent has to sign it underneath. And then it's used in evidence against you by your teacher. Think of if you want to move out and you sign a lease contract. It's signed and it's witnessed, yeah? Think of uh, if you, you're dressed up and if you get married, the, uh, the signing of the register is witnessed. Think of it's uh, a mobile phone contract. You have to click on the screen or you have to sign it with your, your bare hand. Everything is witnessed because we don't live in an oral culture but a written one. And Jesus says actually, it's just the same thing if you live in an oral or a written culture Here's the challenge, you are accountable and you must be consistent and there must be something beautiful and you must be true to your word. Sentence 33, you've heard it said, 
keep the vows you make to the Lord. But I say to you, swear not at all. Don't swear by heaven because it's God's throne. Don't swear by the earth, it's his footstool. Don't swear by Jerusalem, don't swear by your head. But simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. What a pithy saying with profound implications for our lives. Jesus is not quoting from the Old Testament again because he doesn't say it is written, but he's critiquing the uh, standard of teaching, what's being taught by the religious leaders in the time of Jesus and him walking the earth. This is what they're saying. Look closely because you can see from what Jesus and Harry responds. What the religious teachers were saying was this, sentence 34, 35. If you swear by heaven or by earth, Sentence 35, 36. If you swear by Jerusalem or by the hairs on your head, if you swear by your father, your family name, if you decide to swear to take an oath by those things and you break it, that's fine, that's okay. But if you swear by God's name, keep those oaths. Those are binding, but if you swear by anything else, then you can break those ones. And Jesus says, far from it. You cannot live a life where truthfulness is only applied to certain situations, certain times, certain places. So you're truthful on a Sunday, but not on a Monday. Jesus says no. You have to be truthful in every context and in everywhere your feet plant their steps. Because as Jesus is saying, God is everywhere. God is everywhere and he owns everything. Every yes and every no must be a truthful word. If you make a promise, you keep it. If you make a statement that's legally binding, you are bound to it. If you say you'll do something, you should do it. You should live a life of integrity because every word you say is an observed word. What do I mean? Well, just imagine this is a pretty old uh, camera now. You might feel that this is true if you live up in London and work up in London for sure, because there's so many CCTV cameras now. I think it's Cardiff where they're trying facial recognition software and it's going quite well. There's a few issues to be thought of through ethically, but never mind, back to the illustration. Just imagine tomorrow, every word you said was videoed and recorded. Every conversation you had was made a record of. Every tone of every word that you said was recorded. Every connotation which you communicated, that was made a record of as well. And then on Tuesday, your day was played back to 20 million people on BBC One, Two, and on the internet as well. It was live streamed on YouTube that people could listen to what you said, how you said it, and maybe they could see if you were consistent or not, if you were a person of integrity or not. If that were to happen, would that change how you would speak tomorrow? Would you say the same things that you're going to say tomorrow? Would you say it in the same tone? Jesus is saying, if you answer yes to that question, that would make me ponder before I said a word. Jesus is saying, you need to heed my words. This is very, very serious about how we speak, what we say and how we say it. Look at sentence 34, 35. You can't get away from God, Jesus says. It's his city, it's his heaven, it's his earth. So forget the illustration of your words being broadcast before 20 million people, let's say. Far more important is the fact that every word you say is before an audience of one. 
Every sentence you say, every promise that you make is before an audience of one, the maker of heaven and earth. The city is his, the earth is his, the heaven is his. Every yes and every no is like an oath. It's a promise that's made, a promise that God hears. And he's saying, oh, come on. What I'm not saying is that there's not degrees of commitment. Clearly, if you say, I'll text you later and you forget, well, that's okay because we're forgetful people. It shouldn't happen, but sometimes it does. It's not the end of the world, but clearly there's a big difference between forgetting to send a text and making a promise publicly to a spouse to say, I will forsake all others before you, and then you breaking that commitment. Clearly there's a difference. But what Jesus is saying is here, there's a radical principle that you need to grasp, and it's a radical principle of truthfulness, that every word we say is an observed word. It's heard, not by 20 million people, but by Almighty God, by God himself. And so we're living an observed life. Thanks a lot, you may say. Well, Jesus says this is how you're to live an observed life. Very simply. That's the second point. If every word we say is part of our observed life before the face of God and the ears of God, then the second point is this. How are we to live? We're to live a, a simple life. A simple life of wholeness and love. Wholeness and love. Think about where Jesus is saying these words. Think about what he said already. Jesus has spoken about murder, violence. Shortly he's about to speak about money and prayer. He's spoken about sex. And all those big things of adultery and faithfulness, divorce, how you use your money, uh, murder with our words or physically, they're all really important things. They're hard to swallow. But truthfulness and the occasional uh, bending of the truth, isn't that like honey? That's kind of sweet to go down. That's easy to swallow. Why does Jesus need to speak about words? Isn't that right down the list of priorities? What does he say about Brexit? That's what I really want to hear. Frankly, we're far more sensitive to those big things than we are to what we think are small things. How we speak and the validity and the power of our words. Some of you live and work in environments where you feel like you have to bend the truth. You can't say the whole truth because the bottom line is really important. You can't say what people need to hear because actually you need to say what they want to hear. And truth in the modern world is pliable. It's like putty. You stretch it. You don't want to say the whole truth, you just say a half-truth. And Jesus is implying that the battle for being a person of integrity, someone who speaks truthfully, whether someone is looking and listening or not, that's fought in the little moments, not in the big ones. If temptation comes to crisis points, will I sleep with this person or not? Will I go to that business meal where he is there or not? Will I fulfill that fantasy or not, if that comes to crisis points in our lives that we thought about last week, truthfulness, well that's, that's thought about in the trenches of everyday life, of emails, where you're tempted to not say what you need to say, of a conversation that you're, you're tempted to be deceitful in rather than truthful. And Jesus says, no, you're to live a simple life of wholeness. Look at verse 37, simply, Jesus says simply, Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Jesus is describing, not that that's the only words you say, like a binary speech person. Yes, no. you're not to be robotic, no. 
But there's a simplicity of life where you are a trustworthy woman and a trustworthy man. It's the integrity of life that comes from the word integer that means wholeness. There's a wholeness to you. You're like a stick of rock. You know that huge vat of sugar that begins the process in Blackpool, where it's made, I hope, because that's where a lot of it is sold. And then it's rolled and it's heated and words and letters are put in and it says Blackpool. Wherever you cut that, wherever you break a tooth as you bite into that, it says the same thing. And Jesus is saying, simply put, are you a person who is rock-like? Wherever they cut you, whatever you say, whatever situation you're placed into, you're the same. You live a life of integrity and of wholeness. You're not fragmented. You're whole. A person of integrity is someone who doesn't say one thing and then does something else. I'll call you this week, and what you mean to say is, actually, there's nothing I'd rather not do. You don't say one thing and think another. I'd love to come to your party, but actually I'll be out of town for that one. Are you a person who's whole? Or are you a person who says something and then does something else? Someone who says something and feels something else? Someone who says something and wants to be somewhere else? Or are you a person who has a wholeness to their life? What you say when people are looking and when people are not is the same. Are you someone of verse 37? Someone whose yes is yes and whose no is no. There's a story about Tom Watson. He's a, he's a retired golfer now who plays on the Seniors Tour. And when he played his first PGA event, the first professional event that he played, on one of the holes, before he put his putter, that's the flat stick, he put his putter on the green to try and get the ball into the hole. His ball moved. The wind blew it. It was still under motion, it hadn't come to a rest. Now what's he to do? He's uh, trying to cut uh, his mustard against the professionals, but his ball moved, and that's a penalty shot. So Tom Watson sought out the referee, called him over, and said, my ball moved. I didn't touch it, but my ball moved. That's a penalty stroke. And immediately that put him at the disadvantage. It cost him a stroke, but he's a, he's a man of integrity. And you think, oh, come on, he's trying to win. Why did he, he didn't have to admit, no one noticed, but that's the point. No one else noticed, but he knew that his ball moved and he wanted to be a man of integrity. Friends, do you act in a different way when no one else is looking? You click on certain content when you're by yourself that you would never do if anyone else was in the room. You speak of someone else in a different way when you're with that person that you would never do to their face. Jesus is saying, we live an observed life. He sees and hears everything we do, whether someone else is beside us or not. Are you a woman of integrity in how you use your words, how you use your resources, how you use your time? Are you a man of integrity in the home? Do you treat your kids in a harsh way when no one else sees it and then you play a different person when you're in the public? It's a simple but a profound sentence, sentence 37. Live a life of wholeness. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. But here's the second point. Live a life of love. Live a life of love. Now the Apostle Paul puts it in this way. He kind of pads it out for us. He says, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Now this has been greatly misused, but I think this is what Paul is saying. 
There are some people who are just irritable truth-tellers. They are truth-hounds. You know the person. They say, oh, well, I'm a truth lady. I'm a truth guy. They kind of put their shoulders back and they have a posture. What they mean to say is, I'm irritable and I have something to say to you. They say, I am for truth and I'm going to tell you the truth whether you like it or not. And you kind of steal yourself because you know something hard is going to be said. Or they might say, I love you and I've got a hard word to say to you. Very often truth can be used, especially in a church context, as a weapon. It can be used to say something harshly. People like that, people who say, oh, I'm a straight shooter, I'm a truth guy. You get love people, they're kind of mushy. Well, I'm a, I'm a straight talking truth person. Really, they're just an irritable person. Because you can say the truth and you can say it in the wrong tone. You can say the truth and you can say it at the wrong time. You can say the truth and you can say it in the wrong setting. You may be the wrong person to say that truth to someone else completely. So don't just think that you're a truth teller. Paul says, speak the truth. But when you speak the truth, speak it in love. Speak it for the good of the other person. And if you're feeling irritable, don't say the truth. <laughs> because you need to be wary of yourself. It's called emotional intelligence. Because the truth can be used as a weapon. And the truth can be used as a scalpel. From the right heart, from the right motive, it can be used to heal. In the wrong hands, it can be used to harm. Truth without love, says Paul, it's not truth. Love without truth, that's not really loving. They have to be together. Live a simple life, says Jesus, of wholeness. And Paul helps us to say of love. Live a life of observed life where truth, you're a person of integrity, and that's truth and love together, never apart. Well, how on earth do you do that? How do you live this simple life? How do you live a life of integrity? Well, here's the third point. How do you become that? Well, you need to hear a hard truth and you need to hear a tender truth. To live a life, be a person of integrity, you need to be a person of wholeness and of love. And to become that person, to become more like that, you need to hear a hard word and a tender word. Look at sentence 36. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no, because you can't even change the hair on your head from black to white. Now I think that means that there was hair colour going on in the first century, but what Jesus is saying is this, you didn't create the hair on your head. There are rules to life. You didn't even create the city, you didn't create the heavens, you didn't create the earth. In other words, you're a creature. I'm the creator. You have dignity, but you have limited power. And if you go around lying, then you are not made to live in a world where lying is pervasive. It goes against the laws of design. It's a bit like trying to swim underwater unless you're a fish. The way the world that God has made, the patterns of living that he has ordained is that adultery is wrong. It's wrong to tell a lie and it's wrong to try and breathe underwater. If you try and manufacture an existence where truth is pliable, where lying is the MO of your existence, you will finally get caught out because you're designed for truth. You're designed to know the one who made you. And truth-telling is it's almost everything. Are you a person of integrity? Are you a person of truth? The earth is his, the heaven is his, the city is his, the hair on your head is his. You must tell the truth because your creator says that's how you were made. That's what you were made for and you cannot escape the truth. 
That's the hard truth that we need to hear. If you're not yet a Christian, you are not the master of your destiny. God is. You are not made and you will not find joy, enjoyment and life outside of knowing him. You won't find rest before you know him. That's the hard truth that we need to hear. But then there's the tender truth. Then there's the tender truth. The reason we know that we are made to hear truth is not just because we are created people, but because we are redeemed people. A redeemed people. Uh, just earlier in the week, Megan and I are continuing our saga in the West Wing and we got to season five and uh, we continue our journey with Leo McGarry. He's on the left-hand side, you're right. Um, and uh, Leo is the, uh, one of the right-hand men of the president in the White House. And in this episode, Leo comes face-to-face with Kenny, who's an old business friend of his. He's the, he's the CEO of a considerable empire. And yet, much to Leo's surprise, as the episode unfolds, Kenny is accused of shady business practices, of fudging the books. And Leo just can't believe it. Leo says, I'd do anything for Kenny. I'll lay down my life for him. And you kind of wonder why. Why is Leo so loyal to Kenny? What's Kenny got on him? And right at the end of the episode, which includes a series of flashbacks to Vietnam, Leo says this. We were out in the jungle for three days. Kenny carried me on his back. He hid me under a pile of leaves while he went out to find us water. I was delirious. I'd lost a lot of blood. He could have left me. He should have left me. But he never did. We found a clearing where we could send up a flare and a couple of hours later, these two helicopters showed up taking all kinds of fire. Leo said, men died for us. We had a responsibility to live our lives with integrity and honesty to honour their sacrifice. Leo's saying, why has he done it? And he breaks down in tears. Friends, think about the gospel. Our motivation is equal, if not far greater. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, you are not your own you were bought with a price. Why should we live a life of integrity no matter what it costs? Why should our yes be yes and our no be no? Why should we live a life of wholeness whether friends are looking at us or colleagues or the boss is looking at us or not? Because we recognise that we're living an observed life. We recognise that truth is the way that we should speak. Truth is the way that we should live ethically no matter what the implications and some of them will be hard and nearly all of them will be costly because it's what we were made for. It's a hard truth, but there's also a tender truth. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. What's to motivate us to live this simple life of wholeness and love? A man in the Garden of Gethsemane who lived a life of integrity. Everyone was asleep. Not one of his close followers and friends could keep their eyes open. And when no one was looking, when Jesus was in the darkness, how did he live? What did he say? Not my will, but yours. I'm scared, Daddy. I don't want to do this. Is there any other way? But not what I want. I want to do what serves you the best and the most. And that meant the cross for Jesus. It's not enough just to have a hard truth. That's just guilt. 
to really live a life of integrity and wholeness and love, you need to look at what Jesus has done for you and how he lived and what he said. That will empower you to live when no one else is looking. Because look at how Jesus lived when no one else was looking apart from the eyes from heaven. What you are like when no one is looking, who would that person be? Look at Jesus, friends. You see the tough truth and the tender truth. That's what makes you a person of honesty and integrity. On the one hand, Jesus is your creator. We're made to be truth-tellers. We're made to function in a world where truth is not absent, where truth is not rare. And we need those two truths, that hard truth that we are made to live in that world, but we've been redeemed by a saviour. He went to the cross so that we can live as women and men of integrity. Look at how Jesus lived when no one else was looking. Because he knew actually there was someone who always looks and who always listens. Because our lives are an observed life. Think what a difference you could make. Think what a community empowered we would be if we spoke the truth in love to one another. If you lived truthfully, no matter where you were, no matter where you were parachuted in, you were someone who is whole, a person, a man or woman of integrity. Think of how we'd be growing. Think of what we would be saying and what we wouldn't be saying. Think how close we would be as a church family if we could say the truth in love for the good of the other, rightly motivated. And remember these things so that you become more like Jesus. It was said of Jesus, no one ever spoke like him. Wouldn't it be great if someone could say that of you? She was a person who spoke the truth. He was a person of integrity. Let's pray.